Welcome to The Compass, the weekly podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our series called From Rags to Riches, taken from the pages of the letter to the Ephesians. Do you live in Northwest Arkansas and need a church home? Let me take this opportunity to invite you to join us for worship this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 1410 North Porter Road of Fayetteville. Now, if you have any questions about the Word or about our ministry here in Fayetteville, let me encourage you to reach out. You can contact us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com or give us a call at 479-442-4634. Now, in today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is sharing from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23 with a message entitled, What God is Looking for in a Church. Let's listen together. The book of Ephesians, chapter 1, we will feast in the house of Zion. You know, I would not be uh, offended or hurt in any way if God chose for that to be today. How about you? I would be very happy uh, if before this day is over, if God just called us home into his presence. I don't know of a single problem that I have that that would not fix. How about you? It'd just about take care of all of it, wouldn't it, Brother Bob? Amen, it would. I look forward to that day. I hope all of you are prepared uh, for uh, the ultimate day when we will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, uh, but for Christian people, for those who profess to know the Lord, uh, well, everybody is going to stand before the Lord as their judge. Some will stand before him uh, at the great white throne judgment, those who do not know him, and they will uh, have to account for their lives before the Lord. But those who do know him will stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. And God is going to judge us based on some criteria in our lives. Those who know Christ, it will be a judgment uh, and a, a day of, of trial, basically, uh, that we will all end up with the Lord in heaven, but it has to do with rewards and blessings. And so I'm going to tell you today what's going to be on the final, okay? Is that all right? When you were in school, didn't you want to know what you were going to get tested on? Well, I'm going to tell you what's going to be on your final if you were a child of God. Uh, and there's only three things that you've got to really know and you've got to decide if you're going to live for those things or not. So uh, we'll get to that during the course of the message. Now we are working our way through the book of Ephesians and if you notice as you read through the six chapters of Ephesians, the first half, the first three chapters are doctrinal, theological. The second three chapters, four through six, uh, have to do with practical issues, how to live out the truth of the first three chapters. So it is what you need to know and then how you need to live as a result of that. You also discover in the book of Ephesians that almost one half of the book of Ephesians uh, is made up of prayers. It's made up of prayers. We've spent already five or so Sundays, I can't remember how many exactly, maybe six, uh, in the first half of chapter 1, uh, and now we're getting to the second half of, of chapter 1, and it's all a prayer, beginning in verse 15. But this text that we'll read today, that we'll take a couple of two or three Sundays on, not only teaches us about prayer and how to pray in the way uh, that God would teach us to pray, but it also teaches us some things about what God is looking for in you and me. I've titled this message, What God is Looking For in a Church. Now, sometimes people are in a position that they've moved to a new community, their job has relocated them, and they are looking for a church. Well, what's your criteria when you look for a church? I hope number one on your list is that it would be a church that truly teaches the Word of God accurately. But then once you get beyond that, we get into all kinds of preferences. 
We get into all kinds of criteria. Do we like big churches? Do we like small churches? Do we like city churches? Do we like country churches? And so let's just ask the question, what is God looking for in a church? And when we say in a church, we're saying in a church corporately as a group of people living in covenant together before the Lord, but also individually as individual believers. For you see, not only are we the church, but I am the church, and so are you. So what God is looking for in a church is what He's looking for in you and in me. Let's read our text beginning in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 1. That's page number 976, if you want to read out of one of the Pew Bibles. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Well, indeed. Thanks be to God for his word. Cord, uh, could I get you to pull these monitors back a little bit? I'm just getting a little bit of a roar in my ears here. It just could be my age. I'm not sure. But we're going to pretend like it's the speakers, okay? Well, there you noticed it. Paul is back to his old tricks uh, earlier in this chapter. You remember how we looked for several weeks at verses 3 through 14, and we said that in the Greek language, since there's no punctuation, that's all one long sentence. And we have another one of those long sentences here, uh, one of those sentences that you could not have passed freshman English uh, writing like that. But since he was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, we'll give the Apostle Paul a pass, right? Uh, and he speaks of the glories of God and how he's praying for these people and that he's praying for them. He begins with the words, for this reason. Well, what reason? All those great things he has just talked about. How the Lord chose us. How the Lord redeemed us. How the Lord ransomed us. How the Lord gave us an inheritance that is above and beyond anything that we could ever imagine and how that the Lord is, is going to uh, guarantee it through the promise of the Holy Spirit who is the earnest, the down payment of all the inheritance we have awaiting us in heaven. Child of God, because the Holy Spirit resides in your heart, that is God's promise to you that the, all the, the blessings of heaven and the wonders of heaven that cannot even be explained or described, that they are already yours. God's given you the down payment. He'll give you the rest of it when you come home to be with Him. And for this reason, he says, I do not cease to pray for you folks. I'm praying for you every day. Now remember, this church at Ephesus was in a great modern cosmopolitan city. It was one of the seven wonders of the world there in that city. That was the great temple to Venus or to Diana or to Aphrodite, which one of those uh, mythological terms you want to use. People came from all over the world to worship uh, in that city, this pagan deity. The entire uh, economy of the city was based upon that worship of Diana. 
And this was a place where mostly made up of Gentiles, uh, where you had every cutting edge bit of technology and modern life. And the gospel came to this place and began to make a difference in people's lives. But these converted Gentiles, one of the things that they weren't sure of was whether or not they truly were received on an equal basis with the Jewish believers, the Jewish Christians, where the gospel first started and which began to spread on the day of Pentecost and the days that followed. And so Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and his primary theme over everything else is unity, the unity of all people under the gospel, Jew or Gentile. We might say today, black or white, that there is a unity among humanity that nobody is preferred above another in God's sight. That God uh, loves all men, women, boys, and girls. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. And so He is assuring these Ephesians that you have a rightful standing alongside your Jewish brothers and sisters and we can rejoice in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for that gospel today? I hope and pray that you are. And I hope and pray that we as a church collectively, corporately, as well as individually, will always be accurate expressions of what God has done when He saved mankind and placed us in His church. So what is God looking for? What will you and I one day be graded on when we stand before God? When He evaluates our lives to determine our rewards and our blessings in heaven, what will He grade you and me on? Well, it's not going to be on the curve. Let me just tell you that, all right? So quit comparing yourselves to each other because you'll always find somebody that looks like they're closer to God than you, but you'll always, if you look hard enough, find somebody that doesn't look as good as you, and if you're not careful, you'll get to feeling good about yourself, when in reality, we only have one rule of thumb, and what is that? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our example. He is our rule. Well, I believe that you can say that God is looking for three things primarily in His people. Now, I'm going to consider this message in three different questions. What is God looking for in a church? And I'll give you those three things. What does the Bible teach us about those qualities, those characteristics, those attributes? And then what builds those qualities in our lives? Okay, so let's consider those three questions. What is God looking for in a church? Is He looking, is He more pleased with a traditional church? Or a contemporary church? Is he looking for liturgical churches that follow a very strict form that has very rigid rules of worship? Or is he looking for some kind of cutting-edge church where anything goes? Is he more pleased with charismatic churches? With country churches, city churches, reformed churches, independent churches, denominational churches, big churches, small churches, and the list goes on and on and on, okay? There seems to be a church for every personality type. There seems to be a church for every age group. There seems to be a church for every personal style preference. And which one is pleasing to God? What is God looking for? Certainly, He's not looking for what we see predominant in America today, and that is a me church mentality. That I need to find what pleases me. And if this group doesn't please me for a while, I'll just find me another group. That's not what God teaches in His Word. I believe in this passage, if you look back to a couple of verses, you'll find three things God is looking for. Verse 15 gives us two of them. If you mark in your Bibles, mark the word faith. Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. And then mark the word love and your love toward all the saints. God is looking for faith. What is faith? It is a firm persuasion 
It is a conviction. It is a foundation of belief. It is a firm conviction of something. Everybody bases their life on something. They base their plans for the future on something. What is it that is the bottom line, firm foundation, firm conviction? What is the foundation and persuasion of your life that you are building everything on? Faith is what uh, is pleasing unto God. Without faith, the Bible says in Hebrews 6, it is impossible to please the Lord. Is your faith in the Lord? Or is it in your personal goodness? Is it in your religiosity? Is it in your line of birth? Because on this Father's Day, you had a godly father that must make it okay for you. Does that give you a pass into heaven? Or do you have a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is a firm conviction, a firm persuasion. Love. The word literally means a kindly, heartfelt concern. A devotedness to someone or to something. A devotedness. It's being willing to give your life away because of your love for someone, okay? For God so what? Loved the world that he did what? That he gave his one and only, his only begotten son. It's not an emotion, although it does tag, have emotions to do tag along with it. It is not just some feeling that comes and goes. It is something that comes and stays. It is a willingness out of this godly, kindly concern and devotedness to devote myself to someone and give my life away for them. Love. Then look down to verse 18 of our text. And in verse 18, he refers that you, by these words that you may know what is the hope circle or underline the word hope to which he has called you. Oftentimes we think of hope as wishful thinking. I hope it's not going to be as hot tomorrow as it has been this week. Can I get a witness? In my house, we've been without air conditioning for 10 days. I thought about preaching on hell today <laughs> because I really feel like I've had a taste of it this week. Now, I don't want to diminish the whole truth about hell. Even 95 or 100 degrees with about that same degree of humidity doesn't even compare. But it has been warm. Well, I hope that the weather cools off like they say it's going to. I hope that my air conditioning company has received that part they had to order so they can fix my air conditioner tomorrow. Now listen, that is wishful thinking and it's well placed, right? It's wishful thinking. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But when we talk about hope in a Christian sense, when the New Testament talks about hope, it's not talking about wishful thinking. It's talking about something that you can have full confidence in. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's what the song says, right? And if your hope, your confidence, your assurance is built on Jesus' blood and, right, and righteousness, listen to me, that's not wishful thinking. That is absolute confidence and assurance. Amen? Because those things are certain. So when the Bible speaks of hope all through the New Testament, it means confidence. It means security. It means expectation. It means guarantee. So the question is, do we, in our personal lives, do we express our life, and does our life express towards the world 
faith, a confidence in the Lord, and an assurance in Him, a love, a devotedness that is willing to give itself away and sacrifice itself for the cause of Christ and for the sake of lost souls, and hope, an expectation, a guarantee, a security, and a confidence that no matter what I have to face in this life, this is not the end of the world. And the final chapter is not written because why? We are going to feast in the house of Zion someday. We have that confidence. We have that assurance. We are absolutely certainful about that. Now, we could go on and list at least a hundred other characteristics that should mark the people of God. You might say, well, I think generosity is just as important as those other three that you've mentioned. Or I believe that hospitality is very important. Or a church needs to be worshipful, and certain we should. That a church has to be caring. The church has to be sharing. The church has to be evangelistic. And we could go on and on with that list of very true characteristics. Amen? Those are true things, right? You agree? But here's the point. Listen to me. All of those things that I've just mentioned, and all of those others that could be mentioned, they are secondary expressions. They are secondary characteristics. They grow out of faith, love, and hope. Why am I to be generous with my finances and with the things that I own? Because I love God and I love people and I have faith that when I give to God, God is going to bless me and God is going to restore to me and provide for me all that I need. That if I give generously, He's going to bless me full to running over. And, and it's because of that faith and that confidence. Why in the world should we be worshipful people? Listen to me. It doesn't matter if we wave our hands, sing to the top of our lungs, blow the roof off, and jump a pew. If you don't do it because you love God, it's not true worship. It's not true worship. Worship grows out of love. It grows out of a confidence. We can sing blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Why? Because we have the hope and the confidence that Jesus is mine. He's my Savior. You see, all these things. To be evangelistic. We can go out and knock on doors all over our neighborhood. And by the way, we should do that. And share Christ with our families and friends. But if it's not coming out of a love for God and a love for people, what is it? What good does it do? You see, faith, love, and hope. It is faith in the Lord Jesus. It is a love for one another. That's how it's described here. Love towards all the saints. It is a hope to which he has called you. Guess what? You have a calling. You have a calling. You are called to live a confident, assured life. Assured of your future, assured of, uh, of God's promises to you. And I want to tell you, folks, when those three characteristics are growing in our lives, when they are real, it makes all the difference in the world. So I ask you, do you have faith in the Lord Jesus today? I mean real faith. Out of a congregation like this, it is very, very likely that there's someone sitting here this morning that does not have a saving faith in their hearts. The Lord Jesus Christ is your only hope of eternal life. You can join every church in town. You can give away every single thing that you have to help others. But unless, unless you know the Lord Jesus Christ, and unless you've personally acknowledged your sinful need of Christ, and turned away from your sins in faith in turning to Jesus, you're not in the faith as the Bible talks about. Is that real in your life? I hope and pray that it is. 
But you see, it's not just a faith in the Lord, a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a corporate faith. Are we a church of faith? A corporate faith together that, that because I have faith and because you have faith and because you have faith that, that together there is a synergism that gets created in a church and it energizes vision. It propels ministry. It believes that our best days are before us not behind us. And did you know that's not the truth of many churches today? Someone has said there, there are basically three kinds of churches in the world today, or in America particularly. There are monument churches, and monument churches believe that their best years are in their rearview mirror. They're behind them. And they always think back to, oh, but remember when. And they think in terms of, we'll never see that again. Folks, that is not a faith mentality. You are not strong in faith. You're contributing nothing to the corporate faith of this body of Christ if you are looking back wishing that somehow the past could come back. The past is exactly what it is. It's the past. And we don't want to be a monument church that is a monument to the past. There are also maintenance churches. Maintenance churches believe that this right now is the best that we will ever see. And so they fall into maintenance mode. All they're trying to do is just keep the machinery going and let's try to maintain something and, and that this is the best it's ever going to be. Let's just hang on, you know, till Jesus comes. Let's don't lose any kind of momentum or whatever that, that we don't want to become a monument church looking in our rearview mirror. We'll be a maintenance church. But the desirable church is the movement church. It is the church that believes that the best is still in front of us. That it's wonderful that we had what we've had in the past and the faithful people that assured for us that this church would be here. And it's great that we can do the ministries we're doing right now and it's making a difference in people's lives. But we're not living for yesterday and we're not living for today. We're living for tomorrow. We're living for the people that God has already chosen to save in our neighborhoods. We just haven't reached them yet. They just haven't made a profession of faith yet but their names are already written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. That kind of mentality is a faith mentality, and it moves churches. It propels them forward. A love, a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a love, unselfish love, that gives itself away for other saints and other people without Christ. A hope that is a confident assurance that we've been called to and it's an assurance about His Word being true. And it's just as powerful today as it has ever been. And it will still be just as powerful tomorrow as it is today, no matter what the world has to say about it. Now those folks are the marks of a church that please God. Faith, love, and hope. You say, well now... That's what this one little passage has to say. And can you really build a whole teaching or truth on this one passage, these two or three verses? Well, I would say to you this. Every single letter that Paul has written to local churches in the New Testament, church in Rome, church in Corinth, the church in, churches in Galatia, the church in Ephesus, the church in Philippi, Colossae, and Thessalonica, every single letter Paul has written to a local church talks about faith, love, and hope. It is the criteria that is transferable to all churches. It is repeated over and over again. Romans 5, 1 through 5, 1 Corinthians 13, Galatians 5, Colossians 1, 1 Thessalonians 1 and 5, 2 Thessalonians 1 and 2, Philippians all through the book, Galatians all through the book, faith, 
love, and hope. So, that's what God is looking for. Now, what does the Bible teach us about those qualities, about those three things? What does Scripture have to say about them? Well, many things, but I want to suggest three simple truths that you need to be aware of. Number one, those three characteristics produce mature Christians. Produces mature Christians. Worship in a church is indispensable. It's indispensable. But I want to tell you that worship alone will not produce a mature Christian. You've got to spend more time in the Word. You've got to spend more time in deep fellowship with one another. Bible study. You can study the Bible, as my grandpa used to say, from kiver to kiver. And neglect the house of God and the people of God. And all you will be is an educated person in the truths and the commands of the word. But it will not grow you in maturity because God does not intend for you to grow solo. There's no such thing as a silo Christian. Not a mature one. These characteristics produce maturity. And they have to be lived out with one another. Listen to these words from Romans 5. This is where one of the places in Romans, he talks about faith, uh, love, and hope. Listen to what this paragraph says. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's salvation, and there's the word faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith, there it is again, faith, into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope, there's hope, in the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. There's hope again, and hope, whoops, there it is a third time, does not put us to shame, because God's love there's love, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, why did I select that particular passage that mentions faith, love, and hope? Because he's describing what mature Christians do and how they live. They have peace with God. They have access into God's grace. They live lives of rejoicing. They endure sufferings. Not only that, they don't just endure sufferings. What do they do? They rejoice in sufferings. Who does that? What kind of idiot rejoices when life gets hard? I'll tell you who does that. The mature Christian does that. The mature believer does that. The mature believer faces hardship. And that hardship doesn't make it any less hard, but the hardship doesn't destroy him or her, but instead he rejoices and endures and makes it through. Why? Realizing that it takes the blows of the hammer to shape the character of their lives. So what produces maturity? Faith, love, and hope. It not only produces maturity, but let me say this. If these three characteristics are in your life, they will be manifested. Now you and I think of faith, love, and hope as being inward attitudes. And yes, they are. But let me tell you something. They are inner attitudes that find a way of escaping out of your life. Are showing up in your life. Listen to the first Thessalonian passage, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full convic conviction. So Paul is writing to believers in Thessalonica and he is acknowledging the faith, love, and hope in their lives. But notice what he said about them. 
He said your work of faith. Faith is manifested in work. Work doesn't produce salvation. Work cannot get you salvation. But if you have been truly saved, it will lead you to work for Christ. Faith, if it's real and growing in your life, expresses itself in service to and for God. What does love produce? Love is manifested through labor, your labor of love. Labor is not just work. There's two different words here. One is work, meaning service. Labor means sacrifice here. Sacrificial labor and giving oneself away. Love is expressed by a person sacrificially being willing to give their lives away for other people. Once again, I quote the most famous verse in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave sacrificial labor. He gave himself up for us. What about hope? He mentions the steadfastness of hope. Hope is manifested through endurance. Endurance. Keeping on, keeping on. If I were to challenge you to look around you, those of you that have been members of this church for a long time realize that you could name name after name after name after name of people who are no longer here. Some of them are no longer here because they're home in heaven. And they're waiting for us in worshiping the Lord. They're anticipating our coming to be with them. Some are no longer here because God moved them to other places uh, employment-wise. And as they moved, they found new places to worship and serve. But God was leading them away. But some are not here, and every church can say this. Some are not here because they have not endured. They gave up. They quit. Somewhere along the way, life experiences became too much for them. Somewhere along the way, Satan crept in and planted seeds of doubt and despair. Some may have abandoned the faith altogether. Some have abandoned the church. Some are deceived into thinking that they can worship God just as well all by themselves than with the people of God. That's a lie from Satan. They did not endure. They did not make it to the finish line. But the final chapter is not written. We pray that God would get a hold of their hearts and bring them back to faithfulness to Christ, either here or somewhere. But understand, folks, there are churches after the last year and a half of this pandemic, there are churches all over this country that are closing their doors. Why? Because people gave up. They lost hope. They lost confidence about tomorrow. There are pastors by the busload that are walking away from their churches around the country today. Some are just walking away from their church because it's been hard there. They've received a lot of criticism during a pandemic that nothing in Bible college or seminary ever prepared us for. You may need to tell them this week up there when you go to your uh, week long up in Kansas City, Pastor Dan, that they need to do a class on surviving a pandemic. Because pastors are leaving their churches because it's hard. Guess what? Some have walked away from the pastorate, from the ministry altogether. I know of pastors in our very area here. One of them, one of them, has decided that it's better to sell real estate. 
and to preach the gospel of Christ. They've lost hope. They've lost hope. Steadfastness. Steadfastness. It's what the Bible refers to. Endurance. Do you have a confident assurance in the Lord and in His Word that's going to see you make the distance and finish strong? Many of God's people, did you know of the leaders in the Bible, those men and women that we could call leaders who either by their office or by their circumstances or by their calling, whatever it was, that thrust them into a role of leadership? Did you know that the leaders in the Bible, 80% of them limped to the finish line? Limped. I'm talking about a man after God's own heart, David, that was at the weakest of his spiritual life at the end of his life. I'm talking about men like Moses who were not allowed to enter the promised land because of their sin and their lack of trust in a deciding moment of their life. And the list goes on and on and on and on. Are we better than they? One of my prayers is that God would kill me dead before he allows me to mess up so badly in my faith that I would finish weak like that or not finish my race or, pre or present my life as an example, as a stumbling block to people like you, people like my family. These characteristics are manifested. Faith shows up in the way we serve. Who are you serving? How are you serving today? Love shows up in the way that you're willing to sacrifice yourself and your goods for the sake of others, for the glory of God. Hope is manifested in your confident and faithful expectation and endurance to the finish line. One other thing about these three things, they are measurable. You can gain ground and lose ground in them. Did you know that? They are measurable. I won't go into it, uh, but Paul writes two letters to the Thessalonians. We read one uh, verse just a moment ago where he commends, he commends their, uh, you know, their faithful service and their sacrificial labors of love and the steadfastness of their hope. Less than a year later, Paul writes a second letter to them. And you know what? In the second letter, in chapter 1, he commends them for their faith and their love, but he doesn't mention anything about their hope. Why is that? Why did he not talk about their hope? Did you know their hope was flagging? They had lost their hope. You know why they had lost their hope? Because sometime between that first letter and that second letter, there were teachers that came to Thessalonica that taught this church, this young church in the faith, that they had missed the second coming. That Christ had come back and he had not come for them. That they were left behind. They were lost and left. And they lost hope and they lost a confidence about the future. Did God lie to us? Does it mean his other promises are no good? And Paul writes to them, and in the second Thessalonians, his whole focus is about, listen, the Lord hasn't come back the second time yet. There's a number of things that has to happen before he does. And he begins to talk about the Antichrist, the man of sin, and the great falling away from the truth. And then when he gets to chapter 2, he finally brings up the subject of hope. Listen, grab hold of the truth of God and hang on because though you have lost it for a while, you need to restore your hope because it is your endurance and confidence that will propel your ministry forward. Let me give you one last thing. You know this to be true. You have the information right in front of you. What builds faith, love, and hope in a church? How can we help build up faith, love, and hope in our lives and in the lives of others? 
Well, God has used, and you've heard a lot about this here since I've come to Calvary eight years ago. God has given what we know in the New Testament as 25 to 35, depending on how they're worded in different translations. He's given a number of reciprocal commands. What is a reciprocal command? Goes both ways, right? It goes both ways. A reciprocal command. What are these reciprocal commands? In your worship guide, you've got a little brochure. The building blocks of a great church. And on the inside, you're going to find 26 one another commands of Scripture. 26 one another's. Things like love one another. Prefer one another. That means put one another first. Receive one another. When it's necessary, admonish one another. If you kind of have to get into one another's face from time to time, do that all in love to help uh, encourage one another forward. And so you have also encourage one another. Forgive one another. Serve one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Edify one another. Exhort one another. Provoke one another. Baptists kind of do that just for fun. But it says provoke one another to good works, <laughs> not to anger and frustration. Confess your faults to one another. When was the last time you've been a part of a confessing your faults service? We're going to have one of those at 5 o'clock today. Everybody's invited. Not really. Don't come up here. I know I don't have to tell you your excuse. You wouldn't come for that one. I'd be here confessing my faults all alone. Some of you may come up here just wanting to hear me do that. Submit yourself to one another. Wait a minute. I live in a culture that tells me, tells me to put myself first. You need to submit yourself to one another. Minister to one another. Show hospitality. Be of the same mind. That's unity. Fellowship with one another. Here's one thing above everything else is true about those commands. Are you with me now? Follow me. If you'll stick with me just a couple more minutes, I promise I'll let you go and you can have a great Father's Day afternoon. Listen to me. You can't do those by yourself. You got to spend time with God's people. Not just all sitting in, in a worship service facing one direction. Two or three of these can happen like that. But they happen facing one another. In a life group. In a Sunday school class. In just fellowship and time with one another. Bearing with one another. Being kind to one another. Helping one another. Iron sharpening iron. Sometimes it creates sparks, but the end result is always that we are sharper. We are better. We are closer to God. Now, folks, that builds faith, love, and hope. And I've been, over the years, blessed to serve in a variety of ministries that made it possible for me to visit churches all over this country and in many foreign countries. And I'm going to tell you, to find a church that truly lives out the one another commands as the Bible talks about. By the way, they're not one another suggestions. They're not one another recommendations. They are commands. If I don't do those things, I am a disobedient child of God. Okay? If I don't do those things, I'm disobedient. And I want to tell you, I can probably count on one hand how many times I've ever walked and lived among people who truly did that. What difference will it make? This is how John White, in his book, The Fight, talking about the Christian battle. This is what he says. The church that convinces men that there is a God in heaven is a church that manifests what only a heavenly God can do. 
That is to unite human beings in heavenly love. Miracles of healing, powerful preaching, superb organization, all have their place. But there is nothing on earth which convinces men about heaven or that awakens their craving for it like the discovery of Christian brothers and sisters who love one another. The sight of loving unity among believers arrests the unbeliever. It crashes through the barriers of his intellect. It stirs up his conscience and creates a tumult of longing in his heart. Why? Because he was created to enjoy the very thing that you are demonstrating. Paul says this in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far abundantly more than all that we ask or think, according to the power that is already at work in us, within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for the truth of your word today. Thank you for the power of it. May we discover every day, even more deeply, the power of love and joy. Thank you. Of love and faith and hope. May we honor and glorify your name. May we be one another people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.